0: Well, good morning once again, my name is Pastor Mario, I'm the worship and student pastor here at Randall Church, so if I haven't had a chance to meet you before, let me just say hello to you and welcome once again to Randall Church. Um, I invite you after the service to come and, uh, and to meet, meet me, I usually stand at the back if, uh, if we haven't got a chance to meet yet. Uh, just blessed this morning to be able to bring the message and to open God's word today as we take a look at what God's word has to say for us in our current series that we're in right now, which is titled, Love can and, uh, and by way of introduction this morning, I just want to share a little story that happened to, uh, to Denise and I this last week. Uh, and um, and it's, it's actually in my, I mean, I was kind of blown away um, how God works things out. And um, yeah, so we, we, 22 years ago, when I was serving in the Marine Corps, I was a young Marine. It was um, 1996, 1997 time frame. Uh, I had a roommate. His name was Stephen. And Stephen and I were, you know, we were friends, we were roommates. But uh, Stephen um, decided that um, he was going to get married. And so he asked me to be the best man at his wedding. And so I went and I was the best man at his wedding. And the the great thing about Stephen, at least from my eyes, was that, that he didn't actually live in the barracks where I lived, in the dorm where we lived, even though he was my roommate. He lived out in the community. So I basically had my own room to myself for, for a couple years, which, was, which is pretty cool if you're in the Marines and you have your own room. Um, well, I, I, I was Stephen's best man in his wedding. There was only eight of us, I think his wife mentioned this week. Because guess what happens this week? Stephen and his wife came and visited us here in Buffalo 22 years later. We reconnected with them. And as it turns out, they're serving as missionaries in Honduras with World Gospel Mission. And just through the magic of the Internet and Facebook... Several years ago, we reconnected. They, um, they came back uh, from Honduras for the summer to raise some funds. And they said, hey, Mario, can we come to Buffalo and visit you? I said, of course you can, you know, come down. And, uh, and so some of our students had a chance to meet them on Tuesday during our student um, summer kickoff. We took them to Niagara Falls. We took them to Duffs. We took them to the Bisons game. What else did we do? Uh, we took them all around. We gave them the Buffalo tour, okay. And um, but I'm just blessed that. 22 years later, we were able to reconnect. And some of the amazing things about this story is that um, at the time, uh, Stephen and I, when we were roommates, we weren't going to church together. I didn't even know what his faith was at the time. But here he is serving the Lord in the ministry. Somehow in those 22 years, God God, uh, started using him and his wife. What's even more amazing to me about this story is that in the room that me and Stephen shared... And like I said, Stephen wasn't there most of the time because he was out living with his wife. Uh, but the room that we shared, when I left the Marine Corps at that time in my life in 1997, I was so concerned about, God, there's, I'm trying to be a witness in this place. And there is, uh, you know, who's going to come and fill my shoes when I leave, right? You ever had that feeling before when you leave a place like they're just not going to do it good enough like I am, right? <laughs> well, I got out of the Marine Corps a month Goes by, and I go visit my friend, and I go to the same building where my room was at to go visit my friend, who just wasn't there. But as I'm walking past my old room, the room that I used to sleep in and that I shared with Stephen, somebody had put a sign in the window that said Bible study, and I couldn't even tell you what night it said, but it just said Bible study on some night at some random time, and I was just blown away by the mercy of God and the grace of God that listen. God doesn't need us, but he will use us. And God always has people in place to continue the work of the ministry that he started or that he has us involved in. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your life. I pray you have. But really that's um, as we begin today's message, as we look at the scriptures, just the idea that each one of us in this room, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you are born again, if you're a Christian in this place, if you are a follower of Jesus, God has a plan and a purpose for each of our life. And it's intertwined with one another. We may not know each other, but if we're believers in Christ, our purpose and our plan for life is intertwined with one another. And as we go through our scripture this morning, this is really the crux of what we're going to see and really the emphasis of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Our text for this morning will be verses 3 through 8, but we're going to actually begin by taking a look at verses 1 through 8, and then we're also going to be taking a look at a couple other passages. So, once again, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8 will be our focus this morning. Are we ready? Are we there? All right. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, verse 1, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, this passage of Scripture that we are looking at here today, specifically verses 3 through 8, is, is, uh, is a famous uh, passage of Scripture because in this, these few verses, Paul is going to describe what we commonly refer to in the church as the spiritual gifts. And these ideas of the spiritual gifts is what we're going to develop this morning as we go through the text. But just know that there are also other passages in the Bible where Paul addresses the idea of spiritual gifts. And um, so this morning as we look at, as we focus on Romans chapter 12 verses 3 through 8, I want you also to put your finger in Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are some of the other passages that we will be looking at this morning that deal with spiritual gifts. Now, if you have no idea what a spiritual gift is, if that's a weird language to you, that's okay. We're going to unpack that this morning and, and, and talk about what that means. If you know what spiritual gifts are and you're saying, Mario, not another gift on the spiritual gifts and the church loving each other, then just stick with me this morning because I pray that God would open your eyes to something new or maybe something that brings to back to your mind what you know about this passage that you can use for your benefit. The first thing that we need to understand is that the idea of spiritual gifts, the idea of being having a um, uh, a spiritual gift, is packaged within the scriptures within this analogy that each one of us are part of a larger body. We are part of the body of Christ, and in both Ephesians and in Corinthians and in Romans, Paul uses this imagery. He uses this imagery. To help us understand the importance that each one of us as believers in Christ have with one another. On the screen, they're going to put up Romans 12, uh, verse 5, which is one of the verses we just read. Listen to what it says here in the New King James Version. It says, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, listen to what it says. It says, the body is a unit... Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. You see, this idea of spiritual gifts and being, uh, being a member of the community of God, being a member of the family of God, is really tied to this idea that each one of us are part of the body of Christ. Now, um, in the early church, this kind of scared people. And in our culture today, this is language that might scare you. Because if you're not familiar with church, if, you're not, if you didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up in church when I was young. Um, so some of the Christian language, the Christianese that, that we use in the church, we take for granted. Right, this was weird to me, the body of Christ. Like, right, like even in a, in a little bit, we're going to take communion and we refer to it as the body and the blood of Christ. It seems kind of weird to me, right? Like, if you're not familiar with that language. In the early church... Um, this was, hard for the, 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 um, this was hard for the people who weren't Christians to really grasp. Like, what do they mean by the body of Christ? That, is that some kind of pagan ritualistic thing? Are they, are they cannibals? Like, what's happening in, the, in that Christian church over there that they're using this language, the body of Christ? Well, in the scriptures, in Romans, in Corinthians, in Ephesians, this idea is that each one of us are connected. And Paul even goes so far to say that if you're, the, if you're the eye or you're the ear or you're the foot, you know, you can't say to your body, I don't want to be a part of your body anymore. It just doesn't happen. And so each one individually as body as the body of Christ, as members of the faith community of Jesus Christ, we are interconnected, we are intertwined with one another. And that's so important. I think that's the, one, of the, one of the first things I want you to grasp this morning as we look at this text is that this idea... That the church is a body of people that come from many backgrounds, we come from many different heritages, um, but we are combined together and we, each one of us is important to one another in the body of Christ. So where, where are we at here in the book of Romans? Why is Paul talking about this? Why is this so important at chapter 12 of Romans? Why didn't he talk about this in chapters 1-11? through 11? Why doesn't he talk about it in chapter 13-16? through 16? Why is this important here for, for Paul? Well, chapter 12 begins in the book of Romans, Uh, it begins a section of scripture where Paul transitions from talking about doctrine specifically, and he transitions to now talking about how that doctrine should play out in each one of our lives, okay? So doctrine, chapters 1 through 11, and then chapters 12 through 16, for the most part, are how does all this doctrine now play out in our life? And so this is what the, the, the broader context of Romans chapter 12 is. But immediate context of chapter 12 of Romans is that Paul in the previous chapter has just finished talking about who makes up the church. And when I say the church, I mean big C, the big church. All believers around the world, throughout all of history, those people who have believed and put their faith in Christ. He talks about what makes up the body of believers. And the, the, the great thing about... Romans chapter 11 is that Paul, he ends chapter 11 with this great triumphant praise to the Lord. If you look in your Bible, the last few verses of Romans chapter 11, it probably says the doxology or something like that. So Paul has this great and glorious praise to the Lord, which we'll read in a second. But the reason he can praise and the reason he is just glorifying in, in the power of God is because throughout chapter 11, he says, listen... God, throughout his plan, and Paul says it's a mystery, I don't know how, but through God's plan, God has taken the Jewish people and he's taken the Gentiles and he's grafted them in together and He sanctified them and now it's the church. The church being this mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles and now all of us here, if you're a Gentile, if you're not Jewish, are part of this great and glorious thing that God has planned throughout all the ages of being the church, the body of Christ. And Paul gets so excited about this because, remember, Paul is a, is a Jewish man himself. He gets so excited about this fact that he has the privilege of telling people about the greatness and glory of God. That Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have you ever been driving down the road and that song came on the radio? You just had to turn up a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Or you're in your house and that song came on on your whatever, you know, Spotify or something. You just, oh, I got to turn this one up a little bit because this is my jam. This is my song, right? You ever, everybody knows what I'm talking about? Or maybe when you come to church and, um, you know, as we're leading worship up here every week, we know what songs you guys like. <laughs> we know what songs you like. Now, granted, we introduce new songs occasionally or, you know, a couple songs every month. We, we introduce some songs. But when we, when we sing How Great Thou Art, I mean, let me tell you, you, you people like to sing. You know what I mean? And I don't mean just the older folks. I mean everybody, the young people, right? We would think, well, the hymns are, the older folks just love the hymns. Let me tell you, the church as a whole, young and old, when there's certain songs we sing in the congregation as a congregation, listen, we sing those songs out loud because it means something to us because we're excited about what the words are saying, the message that it's conveying. This, this is where Paul's at right here at the end of chapter 11 the beginning of chapter 12 he is so excited about what god has done in the church and through the church that he can't help but say you know to him be the glory forever amen oh the depths of the riches and wisdom of god he's excited about what god's doing because god has created for himself this body of people that consists of both jews and gentiles who are believers in christ and he's made them the church and then paul transitions in chapter 12 To say, knowing that all of us have been, uh, are part of this body, if you're a believer in Jesus, that you're a body in the body of Christ. Listen, you need to be a living sacrifice. He transitions from this great glorious text of what God has done. And now he says, each one of us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, should be a living sacrifice. And this imagery, this language here that Paul uses, is nothing new to his readers, who some of them were Jewish the idea of coming and bringing a sacrifice on the altar uh, was nothing new at the time. You didn't have to be a Christian to bring sacrifice. There were other religions at the time that had sacrifices, okay. Uh, so this is not a new language that Paul is using, but, but Paul is putting it in the context of individual believers. You know, in the Old Testament when, when you used to bring a sacrifice to the altar, you know, you actually had to bring the sacrifice, right? You had to bring the sheep or the the dove or the grain offering. You had to bring those things to the altar. You couldn't have somebody else bring it for you. You had to do it. You had to bring the physical animal that was alive, You had to put your hand on that animal on occasions or whatever it was and confess your sins before God. And then you would be there while the priest wrung its neck, slit its throat, splattered the blood. You were there. You were physically there. And so this idea of being a living sacrifice, that you would present yourself to God and that you would lay yourself on the altar is the imagery that Paul is using here. You know, in our culture today, even here at our church, and um, we have this idea that, you know, you can give online, right? You can give online and you can do it from the comfort of your own home. You can't do that in, in, the, in the Bible. You've got to bring the sacrifice yourself. So listen, you know, if you're, you don't hear anything else today, listen, listen to this right now. God wants your whole person. He wants your whole body. He wants just not your mind, not your soul, but he wants your body as well. To be brought before him as a living sacrifice that can be used by him for his glory. That can be sacrificed on the altar of his glory for his glory. So Paul's not saying this morning that we should give ourselves on that altar and, you know, jump in a fire. But he is talking about sacrificing our life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, listen to what he says. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. In some translations, it just says brothers or brethren. In the NIV here, it says brothers and sisters. But the idea is the same, that Paul is talking here to a group of people who have been sanctified, who have been washed by the blood of Jesus. He's talking to people who are in the church of God, the church of the Lord. And he's saying, you need to be a sacrifice. And this morning, there's three things that I want to talk about, about being a sacrifice that we'll focus in on our specific text this morning of verses 3 through 8. Paul tells us that we need to be humble. He tells us that we need to be empowered by God. And that we need to be a servant. So if you're taking notes today, that's where I'll be going as we talk about what it means to be a living sacrifice in light of verses 3 through 8. So let's begin. Paul begins Romans chapter 12 verse 3 by saying, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Once again, Paul begins by saying, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. Listen, Paul, as we've already talked about, he's talking to the entire congregation here. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those people who are part of the church. He's not addressing this part of scripture to, you know, a certain, a few members of the church or just those kind of elite Christians. Or he's talking to the entire church. He says, every one of you, I say to every one of you. Paul states. The book of Titus, the book of, of uh, Timothy, these are addressed to pastors in the church, pastors and elders. That's not what Paul's doing here. He's saying every one of you, he's saying to us, every one of us this morning, this is what God has to say to us. This passage of scripture is not Paul speaking to a group of people like he will do at the end of Romans where he says, say hello to John, say hello to Bob, say hello to Karen and Kathy. He's not doing that here. He's saying every single one of us, have to hear what God has to say. He's speaking to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, again, if you're you not a believer in the Lord or if you're new to Christianity, that idea that we are brothers and sisters. One of the teens the other day, I, I said to him, and I, he's not here today, so he, I won't put him on the spot. One of the, one of the teens the other day, I said, hey, what's up, homie, how you doing? And he looked at me kind of weird like, that's not my name. But, you know, I said, used to, he didn't know who I was, really. I mean, he doesn't know how I talk. That's how I talk to people. Hey, how you doing, brother and sister? If I've called you brother or sister in this church before, you know that's how I talk. Hey, how's it going, brother? How you doing? And why do I do that? Why, why do we do that? Because the Bible says that if you're a believer in Jesus, you are part of the family of God. John one twelve says, to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, Children not born of natural descent nor of human decision, but born of God. You see, there's something that happens when a person sees Jesus Christ and realizes that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again. There's something that happens in our spirit where we are transformed by the power of God and we respond to what Jesus has done. And the Bible says we are transformed from death to life. And we become part of the family of God. You are a child of God. And I'm not talking about a child of God because God is the creator of the universe. I'm talking about a spirit-born child of God. If that's you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are a child of God. We are the family of God. And we are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If that's not you, then this is a point that you need to consider. Why aren't you a member of the family of God? Have you considered the work of Jesus Christ that he did 2,000 years ago for our salvation? Have you considered the work of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago that he accomplished so that we can live a life that brings glory to the Lord? Maybe this morning you would make a decision and say in your heart that I want to be a child of God and I want to trust in what the Lord Jesus did for me. In Romans 8:16, Paul later earlier in this text says that the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You know, this idea that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. I had a conversation this morning with a couple guys and I was just kind of testing the waters and, and to see how this would work. But um, I'm not from Buffalo, as you know originally. I'm from California, okay? Um, so if, if, uh, if, if you were to ask me today, who was part of the Buffalo Bills uh, at the time that um, O.J. Simpson was on the Bills? Right. How many, just raise your hand. How many of you know any, some other players during that time frame? Okay. Right. Yeah. You could probably give me a list of several names. Right. Okay. Theoretically, let's just stay with me on this. Theoretically, right, on that, on that team with O.J. Simpson, the electric, electric line, What we, what's it called? Electric line? Right, I got that right. Okay, and the, right. Uh, theoretically, does anybody know the water boy or the guy that was handing out the water at that time? Does anybody know the name of the chaplain at the time? Probably, probably remember the name of the coach, right? We probably remember that. Uh, do we remember? Um, do you remember every single player on the team at the time? Probably not. But my point is, they were what? Part of the team. They were part of that family. That was their team. And if theoretically the Buffalo Bills would have won the Super Bowl at that time or the championship, who would have got the ring? All of them. Everybody on the team, right? Theoretically, I mean, that's right. Okay, same thing. Um, Being from California, I love the Dodgers. I can tell you that some of the guys on the 81 championship Dodgers team, you know, I could give you some of those names. And I don't know who the bad boy was. I don't know who the, um, you know, the third base coach was. I don't know any of those things, you know. Um, But theoretically, but they were all part of that family. Okay. They were part of that family and, and there was no way of getting out of that family unless you're traded off. But God's not going to trade you off from his family, okay. If you're a if you're born-again believer in Jesus, you're part of God's family. And it's so important to realize that you can't one day just decide, like, I'm not going to be a part of this family. You're a part of the family and God wants to use you in this family, okay. Okay. Paul includes himself in this this section of Scripture by saying, by the grace given to me. He says, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. And so this morning God is saying, by the grace given to us, to every one of us. This is what we have to say. And he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And so when we think about being humble... We think about being a part of the family of God, and we really take to heart what this passage of Scripture says here. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. You know, humility is nothing, shouldn't be something new to the Christian livelihood. The Bible tells us that Jesus humbled himself even lower than the angels and became a human so that he could win us over for God. The Bible says that Jesus told his disciples and his followers, if you don't have the faith of a little child, if you don't humble yourself as a little child, you will never see the kingdom of God. So this idea of humility is nothing new for a Christian. And, and as we read through this scripture this morning, if you want to be a living sacrifice, if you want to have unity in the house of God, that means we need to have humility as well. Moving on, as we talk about being empowered by God. Paul writes, uh, he says, uh, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And then he says, In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. What is, what is going on here? What is Paul talking about here? Well, one of the things that... Um, a few commentators have noticed that uh, Paul is not talking about saving faith here. How do we know he's not talking about saving faith? Well, we know this because he's already talking to a body of believers. He's not saying that you have to have, you know, a, a certain level of faith to believe. He, it, the Bible already says that you just have faith to believe, not a certain level. Uh, the, the Bible in this passage is not talking about a, a faith as a core set of beliefs, right? You know, we are, uh, we are people of faith, right? You've heard that phrase before. The defend for the faith, contend for the faith as a core set of beliefs. I love what um, one commentator said here. He said that when Paul says in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, what he's saying here is that faith in the sense of one's spiritual gift and having confidence to exercise it rightly. You see, as members of the family of God, God has gifted us with abilities and talents that we should use to help build the church. But sometimes, you know, we're kind of embarrassed or we're not willing to use those gifts. And Paul says, if you have been given these gifts, use them in accordance with the amount of faith that God has given you. And we'll talk about a little bit later what happens if we don't use these gifts. But for now, it's important to realize that God has empowered us and that he has has given us these talents and abilities to be used in his church. And we should exercise them. You know, what I find interesting about this section of scripture is that uh, in both Ephesians and also in Corinthians, when Paul talks about spiritual gifts, when he talks about the things that God has given us, um, it's actually represented by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All three members of the Trinity are uh, represented in these gifts. So here in Romans chapter 12, what it says is that these gifts are given to us by who? Who? By God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. It says that these gifts are given to us by Jesus. And that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, you can write that down. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It says that the gifts are described as a manifestation of the Spirit. So we see that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all represented here when we talk about spiritual gifts and God giving his children gifts and talents to be used within the church for the building up of the body and for unity. And this is, I mean, this is, uh, this is powerful. Because it's not just the idea that, oh, this is just, you know, I hope you enjoy these talents and abilities I've given you. God, God's not up in heaven saying that. No, he By Jesus Christ gave these gifts. By the Holy Spirit, he's empowered us that we could demonstrate his power in this world. He's given us the fullness of his gifts as displayed by the fullness of the Trinity. So when we talk about having uh, a measure of faith, let that be an encouragement to you this morning. That the fullness of the power of God in both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is empowered each one of us this morning to serve. Moving on in verse four, Paul says, "For just as each of us has one body and one members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others." And we've, we've looked at this passage already about the idea of the body being together, being one. We all function together. Now, I was amazed. We had a miracle happen here at the church several uh, two weeks ago. Actually, over the last three months, we had a miracle happen. Here at the church. I don't want to freak anybody out, okay? But um, this is verified. I actually have a picture of it. It's a verified miracle that happened here at the church. Uh, about three months ago, we were in the youth room and we brought a puzzle. And as we left the puzzle in the youth room, I'm, I'm telling a joke, by the way, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for three months, this puzzle was left in the youth room and it was being built by the students. When we finally put the puzzle together this last week and put the last piece in, it was not missing any pieces. <laughs> that was a miracle of Jesus. <laughs> I surely thought, because we even, we even let uh, some of the Christian service brigade during the year, they use the room. Uh, we have uh, the teens are up there on Thursday, Sunday. And, and so I knew, I said, somewhere along the line, we're going to miss some pieces, uh, you know. And no, sure enough, uh, this miracle happened. But... Here, here's, here's, here's the imagery I want you to understand, right, when, when, we ha- when we put a puzzle together, right, if you're missing a piece of that puzzle, it's not complete. Have you ever, you've, you've done that before, right, you put a puzzle together and it's not complete. It annoys you to no end, right, it annoys you to, I mean, you don't, you don't even, right, I actually went out yesterday and bought puzzle glue so I could, so I could put the puzzle, I took the puzzle apart and I'm going to put it back together so I can glue it and hang it in the youth room, right. I'm like, we're saving this puzzle, man. You know, I went to Michael's and got some, some glue. Um, but do you know how annoying it is when you don't have all the pieces to the puzzle? Okay, each one of us in here, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a piece to that puzzle that God is building in the church. You're a piece of, that, of the church. And if you're not actively being used by God or, or um, serving in the church, you're like that missing piece to the puzzle. And it, we need you. We need you to be a part of the church. We need you to be a part of the community of faith. We need you to be there with us. All right? We are many, but we form one body. And each of us belong to one another. All right, let's talk about being a servant. Paul moves on in chapter, in chapter 12, verse 6 to say, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And let's, let's spend a few minutes here talking about the spiritual gifts. Because... Um, I, I've kind of defined what they are. We haven't really talked what they are or how the Bible describes them. Um, but for the purpose of our conversation today is a spiritual gift is a, uh, an ability or a talent that God empowers you to do for, uh, for the building up the body of Christ. How do I know what the difference is between a gift and a talent? How do I know what the, that's the difference is between a spiritual gift and talent? Well, I would say right off the bat, if, if you are um, energized by, by something that you do... If you come to church and you love to serve and you're energized by that, you love to give, you're energized by that, you love to teach, you love to just be an encouragement and that energizes you in the context of the church, in the context of a body of believers, then that's probably what your spiritual gift is. And we're going to go through a list of here some of the, what the scripture talks about. But um, if, if you're energized by that and if, if you um, are building up the body of Christ, if, if your gift is being used to build up the church, um, then that's probably what your spiritual gift is. All right, so let's do this. Let's spend a few minutes. We'll take a look at what the Bible lists as spiritual gifts. As I mentioned already, there's several passages of Scripture um, that they will be up on the screen for you. So you can write them down uh, and maybe just write the actual passage of Scripture and you can go back and and fill in what they are. But let's take a look at the first one in Romans chapter 12, the passage we just looked at. Here's what uh, some of the spiritual gifts that are mentioned here. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, contributing to the needs of others, giving leading and showing mercy. And we'll, we'll talk about what each one of these mean or a few of these mean in a minute. Okay, so Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. That's what uh, Paul lists here. Okay, everybody got that down? Romans 12, 3 through 8. All right, let's take a look at the next passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It's listed here as apostles. These are the gifts that Jesus gives that we talked about. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. All right, you notice that some of these um, are very similar, or it's, it's the same word, or it's very similar in its, in its context, in its description. Okay, are we ready for the next one? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. So we get an even longer list here as Paul talks about this spiritual gifts: Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Okay, so that's Romans chapter 8. In Romans, I'm sorry, in Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Corinthians is a very important book because Paul is actually teaching the church at that time um, how they need to get back in line with their spiritual gifts and how they've gone overboard and he kind of corrects them. And he gives us a list of some of these. And then he goes on a few verses later in verses 27, which is our next list. And he lists for us again apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healing, helping others, administration, tongues, and love. Okay. Love is actually chapter 13 of Corinthians, the love chapter, right? After giving this big giant list of things, Paul says, but the greatest of these is love. And so many have said that even love itself is a spiritual gift, that we need to be empowered by God to love. And um, I, 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 think that's, I think that's an accurate description of, of uh, what chapter 13 of Corinthians is. All right, so let's kind of break some of these down, okay? Let's break some of these down in, in the next few minutes that we have together. Um, and I want to talk specifically in the context of Randall Church, Okay, so in Randall Church here we have a, um, we have a group of elders, we have, um, we have three pastors and we have some elders, and several weeks ago um, Pastor Milo had all of us elders and pastors do a spiritual gifts test, okay. So um, I'm going to put the elders on the spot here today, if you want to know what your elders' spiritual gift is, you can go ask them after the service, okay, and they can tell you um, where, they, where they ranked on that. But we went through a spiritual gift, um, we refer to it as the APEST assessment. Okay, and uh, if you can go back a couple slides to the Ephesians slide, uh, the APEST assessment is based on this Ephesians uh, passage of scripture. Right, so apostles, prophet, evangelists. The pastors is um, in, in the Bible, that word can also be uh, translated as a shepherd. And then teachers. So A-P-E-S-T, APEST, is, um, is this um, test that we took. And where do we fall in on each one of these? Well, before we do that, let me get into what each one of those Mean. So let's go take a look at what apostles means uh, under the APES assessment, okay? And let's, as we go through these, I want you to think about where do you fall in here? Maybe somebody said to you, oh, you're good at this. Or maybe you just love to do certain things. Remember if it energizes you within the church. all right. An apostle is someone who extends the gospel. As the sent ones, they ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another and from one generation to the next. They are always talking about the future, bridging barriers, establishing the church in new context, developing leaders, networking locally. Is there anybody in, in your mind that you can think of that is like that? Or maybe that's yourself. Okay, so an apostle. All right, let's go to the next one, prophet. What does it mean to be a prophet? Well, a prophet is someone who knows God's will. They are particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge Uh, The dominant assumptions we inherit from the culture. They insist that the community obey what God has commanded. I will say that the prophets, you can find modern day prophets on Facebook everywhere. Right? We're always, true story, right? If you don't agree with somebody, then you let them know. Okay? So prophet. Okay? Is that you? Is that somebody you know? I can think of several people that are like this. Okay? Okay. I mean that in a good sense, being a prophet in a good sense, that you bring correction, you challenge dominant assumption we inherit in the culture. What about an evangelist? Evangelists recruit these infectious communicators. I like that word, infectious communicators of the gospel. Message, uh, recruit others to the cause. They call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ and also draw believers to engage the wider mission, growing the church. Do you know anybody like that? Is that you? All right, what about shepherds? Or pastors. Shepherds nurture and protect. They are caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection and spiritual maturity of God's flock. Cultivating a loving and spiritually mature network of relationships. Making and developing disciples. Anybody you know that is like that. And lastly, let's take a look at what teachers do. Teachers understand and explain communicators of God's truth and wisdom. They help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will. Guiding others toward wisdom helping the community remain faithful to Christ's word and constructing a transferable doctrine. All right, so this is the APES assessment. Now, again, this is not, you know, just if you, you know, I could give you the website. This is not just the only way you can determine what your spiritual gifts are. But this is a great tool that helps you determine where do I fall in those categories of of spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And maybe as we read through some of those, you said, oh, yeah, you know what? That's something that really energizes me. I love people. I love communicating to people God's word. I love just being a shepherd for people and helping them. I love being a caregiver. You know, maybe you're a shepherd. Or maybe you just love street evangelism and you just can't wait to tell people about the Lord. Okay, you're an evangelist. Where do you fall in that spectrum of those um, those five? Um, That would be a good indicator of what your spiritual gift is. Where God has gifted you, what energizes you, where you can be used in the church. You know, and then now, now I want to encourage you as you think through that, you know, where, where, where can you be used in the church? Look for places where you can serve using those gifts. Listen, I don't know if they need an apostle down in the kitchen to serve food, right, when we have lunch meetings. But if they do, cool, right? I don't know if they need a street evangelist in the kitchen. But hey, if they do, Cool. Right? But think about where you can be, these gifts can be used and um, where you can help to grow the church. All right? And as we begin to wrap it up here, I mentioned earlier what what happens if someone doesn't exercise their spiritual gift? What happens if someone doesn't exercise their spiritual gift? Well, do me a favor, if you wouldn't mind turning to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to take a look at what what Paul has to say about using the gifts. And by this, we can infer what happens if we don't use our gifts. Romans chapter 4. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. And we'll read a few of these verses here. So Christ gave himself, the apostles and by the cunning craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Listen, God has equipped each one of us with a spiritual gift. He's brought us to a This congregation, particularly, to use those gifts or in the context of where you're at. And the reason he's done this, Paul says in Ephesians, is so that we can reach maturity. So that we can grow. So that the body of Christ is no longer infants. But that we would become in every respect the mature body of Jesus. So what happens if you don't use your spiritual gift? Well, if I'm being honest with with you, it means that you're going to be an immature Christian. If you don't use the gift that God has given you, if you're not serving in the church, if you just give, give, if you just take, take, take and not give, 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 you're going to be an immature Christian. And we know what immaturity looks like, most of us here, because we have children and we can look at our children when they're immature. Or you know children who are immature and you know what that looks like. Now, put that in the context of people in church. If you don't use the gifts that God has given you, if you don't do your best to help build the body of believers, the Bible says that you will be an immature Christian tossed back and forth by different doctrines, right? You're going to be an infant. You're going to be the guy or the girl that is gossiping. You're going to be the person that brings discord within the community of believers. You're going to be the one always complaining because it's never your way rather than thinking about how other people are benefiting from the way things are, you're going to be that person. Don't be that person. Be the person who uses your gifts, who grows in the knowledge of God, and who helps to grow the body of believers so that we are mature, so that we are unified, so that we are built up, and so that we can reach the fullness of the faith that God has for us.